Oh, we can say it better than that. Merry Christmas, church. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, if you would open up to Isaiah 61 this morning. Isaiah 61. Lots of green and red out there. Isaiah 61. Here reads God's word. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast." Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They sh shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring of the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes that is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Here ends the reading of God's holy inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we praise you for you are good. Father, we praise you for you are a God who is merciful and gracious, a God who is loving and kind, a God who is faithful even when your people are faithless. Father, we thank you for sending Christ. As we turn our attention, our focus upon him this morning, Father, we pray that you would stir our holy affections for Jesus. We pray as your word goes out, it would be empowered by your spirit, that it would do its work that you intended for it to do. And we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated, beloved. Now, even if you are not on social media, which I am not putting out a case for social media, I'm not encouraging you in that, but even if you're not, you are constantly bombarded with news, news about every aspect of your life. Of course, there is news about politics, and there's news about finances. In your personal life, there's news about relationships, there's News about your health. Uh, news can come at your job or at your school. But what if all the news that you heard, let's say it had to do with politics, it was everything that you desired to be happening. 
And what if your financial outlook was exceptionally hopeful? And what if you get to hear news about the relationships dearest to you, that they are all in a good place, that they are perfect? And what if the doctor gives you an absolute clean bill of health? And what if everything at your job is going great, the news is great, or at your school it's great? Do you think at that point your life would be pretty good? Now, there were a lot of ifs in there, a a whole lot of ifs in those statements. And as you know, many of us don't experience all those very regularly. Things don't always go in our favor. But if they did, if politics and finances and relationships and your health and job or school was perfect, does that mean that everything is actually perfect? good. I see stiff heads just sitting there. Is that a no? Is that a yes? News changes quickly, doesn't it? I mean, now we live in a time when now everything needs to be tested, right? Even fake news. Is this even real news? Is this genuine? Is it something that I can trust? But it changes so fast. Your financial situation can change in the matter of minutes. The condition of your health can change in a nanosecond. Your relationships can be good now, but that can change in a moment's notice. And we can go on and on. But what if there was good news Good news that brought great joy, a joy that is eternal, a one that is never fleeting, never changing. Well, many of us know there is such news, and it is this news that we will focus our attention on this morning. The title of this morning's sermon is Born to Bring Good News, from this text in Isaiah chapter 61. We're in our fourth and final Advent sermon from the book of Isaiah this morning. For those of you that are visiting, we'll go over some revisiting of these Advent sermons. The word Advent itself is from the Latin word Adventus, meaning arrival, arrival. And so when we speak of Advent, we're speaking about the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. There was his first advent, roughly 2,000 years ago, and there will be another advent when he returns again. This morning, our main focus will be on his first advent. And so we'll turn our attention to this study in Isaiah. And as we turn there again, it is helpful to review the context of Isaiah's ministry. As you recall, Isaiah served God roughly 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He was serving at a time, it was about 100 years past the time that Israel had split into two kingdoms. Isaiah lived in Jerusalem, and he spoke to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah on God's behalf. And Isaiah had warned them of God's judgment. He warned Israel's corrupt leaders that their rebellion against God would come at a cost. He also warned them about the great empires of Assyria and later Babylon that would be used to judge Jerusalem if they persisted in idolatry and oppression of the poor. And speaking of corruption... Tradition holds that Manasseh, King Hezekiah's evil son, who reigned after Hezekiah, had Isaiah imprisoned and later sawn in two for prophesying against the false worship that Manasseh endorsed. And as much as his ministry was about doom 
and gloom, Isaiah also spoke a message of hope. He spoke about God one day fulfilling his covenant promises, including sending a king from the line of David to establish an eternal kingdom. And I share all this background to set the stage, the backdrop for this morning's text. I want you to look at how God spoke through Isaiah to a rebellious people. I know you're in Isaiah 61, but I want you to skip through some other passages. So if you have your Bibles open, flip back to Isaiah chapter 1. In this opening chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, we read from the onset in verse 21 how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. This is the word that's coming through Isaiah. Flip over to Isaiah 48. You're going to see this theme continue. Isaiah 48, the latter half of verse 8. Isaiah 48, latter half of verse 8. We read, For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. Again, Isaiah 59, setting up the context of what is happening here in Isaiah. Isaiah 59, verse 2. We read, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Church, that is not good news to hear. That is not the news of hope that anybody wants to hear, that your sins have separated you from God, that he has hidden his face from you. And why is that? Later in Isaiah 59, picking up in verses 7 and 8, we read, Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Now you might be saying, isn't this Christmas? <laughs> Doesn't sound like your typical Christmas message. We have to understand the context of what was going on. We have to understand the rebelliousness of man. And as we look back to those who Isaiah was prophesying about, who he was speaking about, we also have to acknowledge that we are no different. That by nature, we are rebels against God. But here is the hope. That even when God's people are faithless, God remains faithful. He is a God of hope. And just like today, people then needed some good news. So let's look at how throughout this book of Isaiah, he's been preparing the people, telling them, God has been speaking to them that good news is coming. Back in Isaiah 28, verse 16, Isaiah 28, 16. We see, therefore, says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. God is working. God is preparing. God is sending his Messiah. Isaiah 41, verse 27 God says, I give to Jerusalem a herald of good news. Church, how many of us could use good news? 
all of us. And God promises to send one who will herald good news. Isaiah 52. You'll recognize this from Romans, quoted in Romans. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And then just before we get to Isaiah 61, in Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah 59, we're almost back to our chapter in 61. In Isaiah 59, verse 20, we read, And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And now we're back to our text this morning. In Isaiah 61, And we're introduced to a person whom the Spirit of the Lord God is upon. And so back in Isaiah 61, looking at verses 1 through 3 of this chapter. Though I'll refer to other areas of this chapter, here is where we're going to dive in. In these opening three verses. Now there's a lot of amazing information here. And if you look at it, it's one really, 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 really long sentence. And if I'm going to correct that, then I should correct some of those reallys as well. But it's one long sentence with glorious information. So let's look at it again. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Here in these opening three verses, we see the prophecy of how God will fulfill his promise to send one who will herald good news. It is through this individual that God will use to redeem his people. We see that he is specifically anointed for this task, for this mission, to bring good news. And this good news is to the poor, it's to the afflicted, it's to the downtrodden, to the oppressed, to the disadvantaged, to the destitute. Oh, how we long for this good news. That includes us. To bring good news is to announce or to convey a message of favorable information. And so again, how many of us desire to hear good news? Good news. You never go to the doctor and say, I hope I hear bad news today. There's no area of life that you anticipate that. I'm hoping to hear bad news. We desire good news. More specifically, how many of us this morning could use some good news? One person. That's good. Glad you're here. That's awesome. Well, for that single person who raised their hand, you're in the right place this morning. This good news is unlike any other news that you would consider good. It is God's message. His message about the redemption of sinful humanity. And those in Isaiah's day looked forward to this prophecy being fulfilled. But God would wait some 700 years to fulfill it. And perhaps as we, we read twice now, the opening of Isaiah 61, 
To some of you, it sounds very, very familiar. Maybe you're thinking, I know these verses. Well, if you think of in the New Testament, when Jesus, after he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days, when he came back, he went into a synagogue. And these verses should be very familiar to some of you. If you would, hold your place there in Isaiah 61. We'll come back in a moment. But flip over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4. When Jesus began his ministry, we see how it takes place. Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 14. This is Jesus coming out of the wilderness after being tempted by the devil. We read in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. This is Luke chapter 4, now in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> Come on! That's incredible! They just hand him the scroll of Isaiah. I'm sorry, in my mind, those of you who know me, I just like, it's like a mic drop. It's like, there it is. Absolutely incredible. Our text in Isaiah 61, is what Jesus read at the beginning of his ministry. And he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the tenant, sits down and says, oh, today it's been fulfilled in me. <laughs> Jesus clearly testifies that he is the Messiah. He is the awaited one. He is the anointed one. The one sent to preach good news. Now for a second, just imagine the crowds. I mean, it's just a, another ordinary Saturday in the synagogue. They're going through what they typically do. But something out of the ordinary takes place. This is not something that happens every Saturday. Jesus says, I have come and I am here. I am the Savior of the world. He has arrived. And this Jesus who spoke these things is unlike any other human in all of history. There has never before him been anyone like him, and there will never be another like him. From his birth to his life to his death to his resurrection, there is no one like Jesus. He is the promised Messiah. And later in Luke's gospel, we read that John the Baptist sent word from prison to ask Jesus if he was indeed the promised Messiah. So if you're still in Luke 4, just skip over a little bit to Luke 7. We'll see how Jesus responds to this question. In Luke 7, verse 22, Jesus responds 
He answers them, says, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. The fact that Jesus came proclaiming good news to the poor was authoritative that he was the Messiah. He has come when it was prophesied of what he would do, that he is the one that will bring good news. And this news, again, unlike any other news in history. Before we turn back to our passage in Isaiah 61, I want you to quickly turn back to Luke 4. This is kind of fun this morning. Just keep flipping. Those of you that have babies in one hand, kids in the other hand, sorry. <laughs> Luke chapter 4. I want you to see where Jesus ends his quote when reading from this scroll of Isaiah. Look at Luke 4.19. The end of his quote is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, now keep that in mind. Because at his first advent, this is what his mission was. To come and to preach good news. That it was the year of the Lord's favor. favor. But keep this in mind. Because I want you to flip back to Isaiah 61. Let's see how many hands you actually had to hold places in your Bible. Can you get quickly back to Isaiah 61? Back in Isaiah 61, I want to connect this to verse 2. Isaiah 61, verse 2, we read in Isaiah, he's to come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now wait, what did Jesus quote in Luke 4 when he was in that synagogue? What did he say? Well, he didn't say this part about the vengeance of our God. He ended on, his mission was to come and preach good news. The day of the Lord's favor. So well, does that mean that Jesus has not fulfilled this prophecy. Well, Jesus was referring to his first advent when he would bring good news. It is his second advent, his second coming that will bring a day of vengeance. I mean, listen to what the Bible says about when Jesus comes again at his second coming. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, we read, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Now, what we read about there, this day has not yet occurred. Which, by the way, that's also good news for many people. That this day has not yet occurred. Yet, I would say, if you are in this camp, this camp of those who have not put their trust in Jesus, those who have not repented and turned to Christ to receive him as Lord and Savior, then you need to listen up. Because this is the time of God's favor. The time is now. But the time when he comes again is quickly approaching but he is a God who is gracious and a God who is patient. And he gives us time now to hear the good news once again. And that good news came through Jesus preaching this good news. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's the good news. 
Imagine if at his first advent, there was immediate judgment. Guess where we would not be this morning? None of us. But at his first advent, it was to come to bring good news. It was a time to preach about the year of the Lord's favor. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. All right, so now that we're clear in this opening of Isaiah 61 on who this anointed one is, we'll look again at this long sentence in verses 1 through 3. Jesus has come to bring good news to the poor. This does not mean that he is only bringing good news to those who are financially broke. I know we can get there in our English translation. That is not what is being said here. Those who are afflicted, they're afflicted with sin and they have no remedy. They are those who are crushed down with guilt and with shame. And there is no earthly remedy that will suffice. Their only hope and their only dependence is on God. If you recall Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Lord begins the Beatitudes by preaching, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are people who recognize their own spiritual poverty. And by his grace, they realize their desperate need for God and their need to trust in Christ as Savior. That is the key for every one of us this morning. Every single one of us. The key is, do we recognize our own spiritual poverty? Apart from Christ and apart from anything that God has done, do we understand in and of ourselves that spiritually we are bankrupt? Absolutely bankrupt. Or perhaps there are some of you this morning saying, well, you don't know me. Don't judge me, Pastor. I'm not that bad. Now, for those of you that know what God says about humanity... You know that we are beyond that bad. But there are those who will justify their sin by saying things like, well, I'm only human. I mean, everybody sins. And if you're here this morning, that is your argument. I would like to tell you, you are correct. Everybody does sin. But I ask you this morning, do you know what the consequences of sin are? Yes, it is true, everybody sins. But as you acknowledge that this morning, do you also acknowledge what the consequence of sin is? Because sin has a penalty, a penalty that must be paid. The penalty for sin is death and the outpouring of God's wrath, which would put every single one of us in a horrible predicament this morning because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But listen, Jesus came to bring good news. He came to bring good news. He came to proclaim God's redemptive plan that would be fulfilled through him. What God has spoken through the prophet Isaiah was coming to pass. I know you're in Isaiah 61. I've already had you get a lot of paper cuts this morning, but go back to that opening chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Look what we read. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This is the very opening of this, the the hope that goes out in the very beginning of Isaiah, that God says, let us reason together. There's a way that he will provide for forgiveness to take place for sin. But in Isaiah 61, we read that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. In Psalm 147.3, we read that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Speaking of God's work of bringing healing to the brokenhearted, of caring for their wounds. We need to understand this, that Jesus has come to give this news to the brokenhearted, to the wounded. He has come to proclaim liberty we read in Isaiah 61, to the captives, to set them free. As we think of in the New Testament, when Jesus came and proclaimed liberty to captives, he was speaking to spiritual captives who were captives to sin and and to the law. Their outward attempt to obey the law could never gain them salvation. Jesus came to free us from the bondage of the law. Do you know that God's law, Scripture tells us, brings greater awareness of sin? It was never intended for, nor was it ever capable for, making people righteous. It was to help us see that we needed a Savior, that we need forgiveness from a God who is a God of compassion and a God of mercy. And it is only through Jesus that we can be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What great words that Christ would speak that there is hope for everyone, that there is no sin that is so heinous, so bad, that the grace of God cannot reach. Oh, in our own hearts and minds, we can think, there is no way I can step into a church. Lightning will strike down upon this church. The love of God is far greater. The blood of Jesus reaches far deeper. Forgiveness is available. It is only through Christ. It does not come through trying to do good works, of trying to be a better you. You can never be saved through works of the law. To all who repent and trust Jesus, the Bible says in Romans 7, 6, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. It is through God's Spirit that he gives to his people that we're no longer under the law, under the curse of the law, but we're now under grace. We're freed from the curse. And we're freed from the bondage of sin. In Romans 6, 6, we read, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Before repenting and trusting in Christ, there was no way to turn and to see a way that I can turn from sin and and be clean. How many of us in the past have made New Year's resolutions? I'm going to stop doing this this year. I'm going to stop doing that. None of that can be used to try to please God. 
It is only through his spirit that we can live a life that is pleasing in his sight. We have to be clear because the scripture is clear that the only way that captives are given liberty is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. That's it. There is no other way. No amount of work, no amount of human effort can do anything for you when it comes to eternal worth or value. You cannot save yourself. Oh, how that hurts our pride. It goes against everything we've been taught to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, to get it done. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Only Christ can save you. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the only way. My friend, if you are here this morning and you're like, meh, if you forego Jesus, you forego go your only chance of forgiveness and eternal life. If you forego Jesus, you forego any hope of salvation. If you forego Jesus, you forego the claim of having any security of eternal hope. The only expectation would be judgment. And much like it was in Jesus' day, there are many today that think they could enter God's kingdom by their own righteousness. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we read, For by the works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, rather than thinking or deceiving ourselves that we have done good deeds that actually please God, his law exposes how much we actually sin against him. And guess what? It's a lot. And it's often. Our works cannot make us righteous. The righteousness of God can only come through grace, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way. It is through faith in Jesus that we are actually clothed in his righteousness. He is the only way. And what seems to be good or too good to be true, that all who repent and believe get to participate in this most glorious exchange, listen, that our sins would be imputed. They'd be accredited to Christ and his righteousness would be imputed to us, accredited to us. That, that seems too good to be true. Oh, how can it be? Because Jesus came to bring good news. And this is the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how captives are set free. Free from the bondage of the law and free from the bondage of sin. And only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus was born to fulfill the prophecy that he would bring good news to his people. And we know that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. It is only the name of Jesus. Isaiah 61 continues and it covers and records all that Christ does. He comforts those who mourn by turning their garments of mourning into garments of gladness. Beloved, this is what happened. If you have repented and trusted in Christ, this is what happened upon conversion. That mourning was turned to gladness. 
that all the gloom was turned to joy because you have a Savior and because you've experienced forgiveness. Figuratively speaking, in Isaiah 61, he removes the ashes upon our head and replaces it with a victor's crown, a wreath. He turns our mourning into gladness. When a sinner repents and trusts in Jesus upon his finished work upon the cross, all of their sin is forgiven. All of their sin is forgiven. Acts 10.43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Upon repentance and faith, the weight and penalty of sin is removed. He turns our weakness into praise. No longer is there sackcloth that symbolizes grief, but believers are now clothed with the garment of praise. And beloved, those of you that have experienced this, you know exactly what this means. That instead of the old days where it was, woe is me, gone are the days where life was just about me, myself, and I. And now are the days of God is good. God is gracious and merciful and kind. Jesus has paid the price. These are words that put gladness into our hearts and minds, put smiles upon our faces. This is why when we sing unto the Lord and we listen and understand the words we're singing, naturally smiles go across our face because he is good. And so those who have been transformed, who put on the garment, scratch that, they have not put it on. They have been clothed with a garment of praise. They have been given the Spirit of God a new heart. Their lives are transformed. They're now busy doing different things than they did before. Now they're serving Christ. They're loving God. They're praising the Lord for what he has done. They come to church on Christmas Eve morning and telling their family they're going to have to wait till later because they've been transformed. These are those who have been given a new heart with new desires. And their desires are now to bring God glory with their lives. They now live for the glory of God. And so it's no wonder in verse 6 of Isaiah 61, we read, You shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. We know in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you were invited here this morning by somebody else who professes to, to be a Christian, who professes to know Christ, this is why they invited you. This is why they cannot stop telling you about Jesus. Because they've been transformed. They've been renewed. They've experienced the grace and the glory of God. And now they cannot help but tell others about this Jesus who set them free. About this Jesus who came to bring good news. About this Jesus who replaced their ashes with a crown of beauty who replaced their mourning with the oil of joy, who traded their spirit of despair with the garment of praise. This Jesus who plants us firmly in his righteousness. Their lives are now dedicated, committed to living for the glory of this Jesus he is the one who takes our shame, he takes our dishonor, and he gives us a double portion of blessing. He gives us everlasting joy. Quick question, how long does everlasting last? 
Just checking in, seeing if we're still, still connecting here. Everlasting. It's not happiness that comes and goes depending on what happens. Everlasting joy comes through Jesus Christ. And by the way, Jesus doesn't do any of this begrudgingly. He takes great joy in all of this. The end of Isaiah 61 in verses 10 and 11, we see that he rejoices in the work that he was given. The work of his life, his death, his resurrection, that all of that work guaranteed to be effectual in God's people. That the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to be sprout up. This means that the world will witness the work of God in his people. The world will see it. That lives will be transformed. That when you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're not what you used to be. And people will take notice. There's something different. You'll be a gospel witness. Salvation, when it is received, is demonstrated through a wonderful change that God does in his people. It is the good news that brings great joy. One more flip in your Bible. Isaiah 55. I should never say one more flip. You know there's going to be more than that. I don't want to lie to you this morning. That would be terrible or any time. Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 55, starting in verse 1, we read, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. What is God saying here? Come. Not based upon anything that you have or you're able to give, but you are to come freely and to receive of him. Continuing in verse 6 of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Lord says to seek him now. To seek him in a time of his favor. To call upon him while he is near. And what do we read there? So he will have compassion upon you. Jesus came to bring this good news, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And his favor is to be received now. I told you I'd only have you flip one other place, so I'll just quote this one. Don't turn there. Isaiah 48, verse 9, we read, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. That also might sound familiar to some of you. Because the Apostle Paul quotes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Listen. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friend, I plead with you this morning, if you do not know Christ, to come to him. 
When we celebrate Christmas, it is not about the tree. It's not about the gifts under the tree. It is about the inexpressible gift that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. To miss that this morning is to miss everything. That salvation only comes through Christ. There is nothing better that you could have asked for for this Christmas than salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you are to believe the gospel, to repent and to turn to Christ, to trust in his finished work, that when he said it is finished, he meant it. That everything that was necessary for your salvation was completed upon the cross. What you're asked to do is to humble yourself and to turn to him in complete dependence. Would you do that this morning? Before I close in prayer, let's bow our heads. Let's meditate upon what God has taught us this morning before I close in a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads now. Father, for many of us this morning, the gospel is nothing new. It is news that we have heard and news by your grace that we have received and news that has transformed us. And yet it is that same gospel that refreshes us. It's that same gospel that stirs our holy affections for Christ. It is that same gospel that helps us from veering to the left and to the right. It is that good news that Jesus brought. That we have forgiveness in him. Father, I pray for us who you have gifted with repentance and faith that it would be Christ that is on the forefront of our minds, that it would be this work of your grace in our lives that causes us to live for his glory that would shine bright during Christmas. Father, help us to get from getting caught up in all the other things that Christmas brings, and may it be the gospel that comes forward from our lips. Maybe the gospel that has lived out in our lives Father, for anyone visiting this morning, perhaps brought here by, invited by somebody else, or perhaps somebody who comes regularly, and yet your spirit has shown them this morning that they don't have salvation in Christ, that they have been trusting in their own ways, that they have formed and fashioned for themselves other gods, other ways of being accepted by you. Father, may it be your word this morning that shows them clearly that Jesus is the only way and that now is the time of favor, that today is the day of salvation. We pray that your spirit would draw them in repentance and faith now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, remain standing as you do so. We come and sing joy to the world, but we also, uh, this morning, will be sending off a beloved couple as they move out of state. So let's keep the attitude of joy this morning. No weeping. Uh, can I get Chris and Sherry Cummings to come up, who will be leaving us and going to Missouri, which we try to put a moratorium in place of no more members leaving the state. It apparently doesn't work. But this couple has been a blessed addition to our body. Great members that will be greatly missed. But let's send them off with love. Let's send them off with God's grace and God's blessing upon them. So let's pray for them. Father, we thank you for this couple. We, we thank you, God, for your work of grace in their lives. God, we thank you for being able to participate in that, to, to have that grace experience through them to us and see the gospel work in their lives. And Father, we thank you for uh, them being members of this church. And uh, Father, what that means to us as a whole, that we would be a healthy church. And Father, as we send them off, God, we pray for the church that they are going to. God, we pray that you would use them for your glory. Father, that you would um, grace them with other believers that would surround them and encourage them in the faith. Father, we pray for your grace uh, to be upon them as they move and all the logistics that go into that. Father, during a, a busy time of years, Lord, now one more thing added to it, Father, we pray you would sustain them and that it would be a most glorious time. So God, thank you for the opportunity to uh, serve side by side, to, to minister to one another, to have mutual edification uh, uh, between us. 
And God, we know that we will spend eternity forever doing that. So we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. God bless you. Beloved, let me close with a benediction from God's word, one that we've looked at in previous weeks, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Merry Christmas, beloved. Enjoy your time together. Stir up love and good works in one another. God bless you, and we'll see you, Lord willing, out on the, out on the patio, and then again tonight at 6 p.m. God bless you.